Welcome to the Juice Box Podcast. This is episode 21. This episode is going to be in two parts, but because I didn't get an episode up last week, I'm going to put them both up at the same time. So you can um, download episode 21 and episode 22 at the same time. They might already actually be in your podcast app if that's the way you're listening. Episode 21, I think we're going to call Surviving Everest with Type 1 Diabetes. This is a conversation with Elna Narula. Elna is the mother of a girl who has type 1. Her daughter, Svati, is in her 20s. She is a journalist and recently, in the spring of 2015, had the opportunity to travel to Everest to do some work. While she was there, there was a significant earthquake in Kathmandu that triggered an avalanche on Everest. Uh, It killed a number of people in the base camp, and Svati was right in the middle of that avalanche. So the first part of this podcast is going to be talking to Elma about being a you know the mom of a child with type 1 and some of the things she went through when Svati came to her with this idea of a trip to to Everest. Um, and then in part 2 we're going to talk specifically about finding out that there was an avalanche where her daughter was and how Elna had a a span of time where she wasn't sure if Svati was dead or alive, and then everything that happened after that leading up to Svati coming home. This is really a fascinating conversation, and you will know that as you're listening if you've listened to the podcast in the past, because I don't talk very much during it. Um, Elna seemed to me like this may be one of the first times that she was talking about it out loud, and I really did not want to get in the way. So um, you'll hear me interject a little bit during part one, but part two is really going to be listening to the story um, from these amazing people. So that's pretty much it. Other than to say, you know, there's a disclaimer. If anything you hear on the Juicebox podcast sounds like it's advice, it definitely isn't. Nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast or read on my blog, ardenstay.com, constitutes advice, medical or otherwise. There is a full disclaimer at the bottom of ardenstay.com and Juicebox podcast. And juicebox. Juicebox. I never get it right. Juiceboxpodcast.com. So um, that's it. Let's get going. This is episode 21, Surviving Everest with Type 1 Diabetes. And as soon as that's over, you can jump over to episode 22 and hear the rest of the story. Let's go. Hello there. Hi, how are you? I'm good. So can you, do you hear me better this way? Because we can do either way. I'm, you're very clear like this. Okay. You can hear me? This works fine for me. Okay, great. (laughs) I was saying when I thought that we were on on our way to to being able to hear each other that I can't believe we were talking. That was my first statement. I can't believe we're finally talking to each other and then you weren't there. (laughs) I'm so sorry. No, and I, and I really am here now and I can't believe it either. It's just been just been a busier time than usual. I usually keep pretty busy anyhow, but as of late, I just, I'm juggling a lot of different things. And then I really put a lot into, when Sati went to Everest, it was a lot of preparation time before. Then when she was there, I was like there virtually with her. And then she came back and I wanted to spend time with her when she was there in May. And then I've been trying to catch up with work things in June. So, and so it goes. So it's just been a really busy time. Then I went to 
ADA and got back and, and my husband travels a lot. So just, just a lot going on. <laughs> you can relate. You've got a family. I do. It's, how's your daughter? How's your daughter? Now, Arden is how old now? 10, 12? She's 10. How old is she? She'll be 11 in a couple of weeks. Neat. Yeah. Wonderful. It's, and, it's, it's this time of year is crazy here because she and my son play really competitive baseball and softball. So wow, nice. there's just, they practice every day in the summer or play. And so a lot, a lot of work. Yeah. Even our dogs look up at us when we walk in the house and like, Oh, you guys still live here. And we're like, yeah, what's up? And then we, right. we eat That's something wonderful. out of the refrigerator and fall asleep. So, yeah. um, well, I, everything you just, how, how old's your son? Scott, how old's oh, your son? Oh, oh, Cole is 15. Nice. Yeah. yeah, I've got a 16-year-old son. He's my baby. So really just, just Fatih, who's 23, who got type 1 at 9, and Sven, who is 16, wow. who I hope doesn't get type 1, but he's had one of the markers before through trauma. So it's interesting. He's somebody who had a marker, went away. Um, I don't think it came back again. Hasn't yet. Oh, that, but he doesn't like to be tested as much as he didn't mind when he was younger. So I, I watch him. Yeah, that's super interesting because now Cole's done trial on that too. We're, we'll get... We're off the path, but we'll get back to it. So, so yeah. he he um. So your son had a marker. He had just one of the markers. Usually, you need you know two two. You worry about three. You you've got it. But right. he's just had one, but it went away, so and weird. that can happen. Because I know a lot of researchers with <clears throat> you know who do who do this stuff with type one. And apparently, that can happen. And that's the answer. So he's at much higher risk. And I try to tell him that he's very skinny, he's tall, he plays a lot of tennis. He's a tennis player and a runner. And um, I just hope for the best. I mean, there really isn't that much you can do except try to give him. I give him a lot of vitamin D, yeah. and um, that hopefully will help in omega-3s. And really not much more you can do except try to have them take care of themselves and hope for the best with their immune system. Is there... Other type one or endocrine issues in your family line? Um, actually, it was my grand, my Swedish grandfather's sister who died of it. She got it when she was nine, and she died. My daughter got it when she was nine, and she lived right. because she has ins. You know, she we had insulin. His yeah, was- his Swedish sister, let's see, died because it was two years. I think it was nineteen twenty or twenty one. It was like one or two years right before insulin was developed. So yeah. nobody really knew in the family why she died until we started looking into it after Swati got it. It was really interesting. So that's the only type one back in the family. But my mom's side is from Sweden. So yeah, well that's so, you know I'm sure in the so, bloodline. That's so interesting. So she passed away in the twenties. Yep. And, and it was a just an unfounded death. They had no idea why she was. No, no, no. They knew. They oh, started. They, 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 all they did for kids then was starve them. Okay. So as we looked into it more and found out more from family records and things, she was she lived for quite a while because they took really good care of her, and then they start. I mean, they had to starve her. Right. That's what they did then. That was the treatment. Yeah, that's crazy. You know. They'd just be really sickly because their sugars were high all the time, and then they'd be too high, and they'd die. So what they'd do is starve them and not feed them because they saw that gave them more of the symptoms. Yeah, it, they, <clears throat> so they die of starvation. They Isn't say, that awful? No, they, they say you can trace <sighs> diabetes back to being written about in Egyptian times where they, yep. they, they called it the great drain, apparently. Yep. And, and, they, and their best theory was that you urinated yourself to death back then. And they, yeah. and they didn't know why. It's, Interesting. It's I never thought about the urinating. So that is yeah. neat. That, yeah. yeah. I just I mean. just went back to the thing where they didn't know what to do, so they starved to death. Yeah, that, it's all really fascinating. And then insulin comes and changes everything right away. Yeah, it um, did. 
did. Well, so I think we're on the brink of another big change, certainly with artificial pancreas stuff, yeah. because I've watched this for, what, 15, mm-hmm. 15 years, and <clears throat> at ADA this time, and I know all these guys who are the players in, in the AP world, and, you know, things have really, I mean, it's like this Aaron was saying, it's not anymore, it's not if, it's when, yeah. you know, get ready, it's, you know, the artificial pancreas coming for a kid, you know, you're coming to a kid near you, and it's, you know, now it's inevitable. So that's a neat thing. It's going to change things. Fatih's been in, Ed Damiano is a good friend of mine, mm-hmm. and she's been in two of his, you know, his trials, the bionic pancreas trials, the first one when she was all hooked up to everything in the hospital, and then um, the other one where she was walking around Boston with, you know, another right. nurse changing out her glucagon all the time, and what a difference. So yeah. it's amazing, and I, I have a lot of faith in him. The hard part for him right now is the fact that glucagon isn't ready. It won't be ready. It's He's going to have to do pivotal trials in just insulin. It's really too bad. Yeah. Very I, disappointing. I, I'm a huge um, fan of encapsulation. I, I love... Oh, yeah. I think that's going to yeah, probably love, do it more for a cure. I love the way the tech... The, I love the way the, the science of it seems now. Like, it's, it doesn't rely on something we don't quite know how to do yet. Y- mm-hmm. You know, like, that's what I that's what I think is kind of exciting about that. Actually, Aaron's speaking at my wife's work today. She's, yes. She's going to see him uh, in a little bit. Um, so, so, oh my gosh. So, we're talking so much, but I asked yeah. you to be on the podcast because you are the mother of a person with type 1 diabetes. Yes. Um, a very active person. And I want to I sort of, from the beginning, tell the story of... Of and your daughter's name is I, I want to. So her name is, it's actually it's an Indian name, Uruswati, because it means star of the morning. And I met my Indian husband in India many years ago, and her, um, her anyway, her name has a long story behind it. But it's too hard to pronounce that in the right way with the right cadence and stuff in this country. So she just goes by Svati, S V A T I. Right which is a more common name in India. And so, yes, her name is Svati. And your last name is Narula? Narula, an Indian name. Narula, mm-hmm. okay. And so Svati um, is going to go on a bit of an adventure, and you help her get prepared for it. And she yes. decides how long ago that she wants to climb Everest. <clears throat> no, it wasn't she decides. So here's what's neat, tell what me, happened with her. So me. Svati got out of college two years ago. She went to Dartmouth. She majored in political science, government stuff, but she's really a writer. She's always been a writer. She was editor of her paper. She's cross-country runner, very outdoorsy, was very involved with insulin dependence for many years. We've known them since, you know, Peter had kind of started that. Unfortunately, it's no longer going with stuff in the outdoors, but it was wonderful because it's so important for kids with type 1 to have that camaraderie and mentoring each other and getting in the outdoors and hiking and surfing and running and doing all those good things for controlling their blood sugars and seeing they can do anything. So she'd always been involved in that and backpacking and stuff. And she, at at Dartmouth, she did a story for an English class on a guy who was a mountain climber who had been the one who'd come up with the Eastern Expedition um, climbing the face of Tibet, uh, excuse me, of Everest from Tibet. And he's, you know, gone down the Amazon and climbed all the big summits of the world. Anyway, very interesting guy. She ended up interviewing him just for a course she was doing. And she's ended up now, she was asked to write a book about him because a very sad thing is he has early Alzheimer's. So he's been through his life doing amazing things 
and had amazing journeys, but now he's facing the most difficult journey of all, harder than climbing the highest mountains in the world and doing all the stuff he's done, and uh, that is facing early Alzheimer's. So she's writing a book about those two things, so it's really neat. So they became good friends. So when she was asked to kind of escort him and help him go to this big Alpine Mountaineers conference in New York in early February, she went and she finally met David Brashears, who's a good friend of his. David is a well-known kind of elite mountain climber and a filmmaker. <clears throat> he did the first IMAX films of Everest and is well-regarded, I guess, among mountain climbers and filmmakers and people around the world. So she was planning to interview him for the book anyhow, so they were all at the same table. He was really taken by Swati. He appreciated how well she took care of Andy. All the different things going on. One thing led to another. She's sitting at work in New York. She's a journalist. And she gets a phone call. And he says, you know what? I'm going to Everest. I go every year. I'm going for this for the spring climbing season. And I want you to join me. So I remember getting a text from her in February. And this was, you know, probably a few weeks after that in early February. And then I said, this, this spring, that's really soon. And I said, I don't believe it. You're just joking, right? And she mm -hmm. said, no, I'm not kidding. He'll pay me. So we started going back and forth. And at first I was very excited for her. So I thought, what an incredible opportunity. And with him, and she'd be doing, I don't know, video journalism up there. And, and actually, my gift to her for graduation at Dartmouth was to go on and base the Everspace Camp Trek, which means you trek for about, uh, 10 days up to base camp and you turn around and go back because you can't go to base camp unless you're invited or you've paid $60,000 and you're a climber or there's another good reason. People can't just go there. So we'd always plan just to do that because I grew up in Nepal as a child. My father was in the Foreign Service and I lived there in Kathmandu in the 60s. Mm. So, and then I went back and I lived in India for 10 years and would go back out to Nepal. And okay. even then there were a lot of foreigners that was different <clears throat> in the late 80s. But the point is, we, she and I always planned to do that. So another part of this was when she was going, I kept thinking, aha, for her diabetes. I mean, I'll need to go along too, right? right. And help her, help her do everything. So I was kind of secretly hoping that would be the case. So you're, ex and you're so, excited to take the trip also. It's not just that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, okay, absolutely. Yeah, right. No way. She's not going to go over there without me. Because my husband travels back and forth a lot and has many miles. So I thought, good opportunity. I'll find a way. I'm just going to make it work. Of course, she starts talking with him, and then she's got to find out all the things. You know, can she even get off work for two months? Because she can't lose this job. She's got good insurance through it. It's, I'll tell you, it's an interesting thing. You take care of your kids all for so many years with diabetes, and you're, that's on you. And you want to make sure you've got everything to cover them. I never imagined that she'd have a wonderful job that takes such good care of her diabetes, but she does. She's just very fortunate because through the Atlantic, they've got excellent insurance. I was going to so, say, when you said she's yeah. a writer, she's, she, she writes for the Atlantic, right? She writes for the Atlantic. She yeah. worked, she worked for the Atlantic for a year um, when she first got out of Dartmouth and then she works for their business section courts, in, courts in New now. York. Right. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. so anyway, so what happened is I was all for this. Okay. And then I started thinking about it and I thought, wait a minute, that's almost 18,000 feet. How's she going to manage this? Can you even do it? And then I remembered, Will Cross and Sebastian Sasseville. Sebastian is a Canadian who summited Everest with Type 1, who, you know, walks across Canada and goes to Sahara and does all kinds of extreme things. And Will, I've heard speak twice, because I usually go to the Children with Diabetes Friends for Life conference for different things right. over the years. And Sati's been there too and worked and we've done things. And so I thought, I've got to get in touch with them. So it's like thinking, because as a nurse, I think of best practices. You always want to find, you don't want to reinvent the wheel on anything. And I thought, if anybody's going to know, they're going to know. So that was part of my preparation for her. And 
Then I also called her endocrinologist. Well, what did he say? But he said, no way. He said, you can't do this. It's too dangerous. It's too high. And he said, I've done workshops with Will Cross where Will talked about sometimes he'd have to pee on a, you know, on a stick to get his blood sugars and he would have to have three different meters and average them. Nothing works that high, okay. right? So I actually was a little bit relieved because I had thought I wanted to do this, but it would be a lot of work to do it. And I wanted her to be able to, but I'd have to turn around, come back and she would stay. And I was mostly concerned with her being living up there. Absolutely. For six weeks. Yeah, sure. Because six weeks at almost 18,000, I mean, it's not conducive to human life. Nothing lives up there. I was going to say, when, when you say you're concerned about her living up there, it's not because she has diabetes. It's because it's on the top of a giant mountain. That, that's you, Well, it's that, but it's diabetes. You see, it's hard on any body. You, you, on, uh, you get, you're using, you only have 50% of your oxygen. Okay. Okay. Down here, see, we got 100%. It's nice. We're breathing stuff. You have to make a lot of red blood cells. So you're climatizing, getting some of that on the, on the trek up there. Mm-hmm. You know, and I wasn't as worried about the trek until, of course, I found out she wouldn't be with David. She was trekking that alone oh with my. a porter and a Sherpa. So, because David had to go ahead so that he could, he could lay all the um, ladders with the Sherpas, they're called the ice doctors and the ice fall. They only trust him to do it. And after all the Sherpas died last year, they wanted him. It's another reason why she really wanted to go. She said, this is such an opportunity. After what happened last year with 16 Sherpas died, this is going to be a big thing to cover. And she, so her thought was, because I talked to her endocrinologist, he was like, you can't average it well enough up there. She, it'd be too dangerous with getting lows. He has type one himself. Okay. So it pretty much for me cemented the fact that this just won't work. So I was going to try to appease her by saying, calling her and saying, you know what? Maybe you can plan just to do the trek up, but mm-hmm. to come back and you can get stories for David on the way up, or maybe you can be there for two days, whatever. Right. But I called her and told her that. And you know what she said? She said, mom, I'm not, I'm going to go no matter what. Then I'll worry about my diabetes. My take on this was we're going to make sure you can do this with your diabetes and then we'll figure out all the logistics. Right. right? She thought about the other way. Yeah. So that was the way I was thinking. And then it's funny because I wrote something to a friend of mine, a researcher, and I was saying, you know, look at me. I have to eat my words. And this is what I'd like parents to hear. We tell our kids, nothing is going to stop you from doing what you want to do with diabetes. I'll make sure of that. My daughter's always had on her door this little quote I had from a long time ago, it says, I may have diabetes, but diabetes doesn't have me, mm-hmm. right? I brought her up to believe she can do anything. We used to joke, the only thing you probably can't do when she got diabetes was you couldn't be a truck driver, you couldn't fly a plane. I said, so if you don't want to be a truck driver or you know, an, air, an airline pilot, Wrong you're okay. Yep. And we would joke about that. Now, of course, they've changed things. People used to not be able to be in the State Department and go overseas on certain assignments or do certain things in the military or fly planes or drive trucks. I, I can't remember how much of this we can do, you know, they can do now, but certainly it's, it's changed. They right. can do the State Department overseas. I don't know if they can be a uh, commercial airline pilot. But they do fly planes and people have driven trucks. But I uh, was thinking to myself, you know, here I've got to eat my words because she was getting back to me saying, how can you do this? You've brought me up and always told me I could do anything, and I've done it. So, so let me so, ask you, in that moment right there, what yep. makes you change course from how you've been thinking your whole life? Was it just fear? Was it the unknown? Was it just it's the that fear, this the unknown, and what could happen to her? And because she had a type one endocrinologist who said to me, 
I don't think she can do this. It's not wise. You have to average your blood sugars up there. It's too dangerous about lows. How is she going to get out if something happens? You've got to think of every eventuality. And he said... You know, I, I saw Will give, give, he had did some workshop and a talk with him and stuff. And, and so I said, well, you know what? I'm going to, so after I talked to my daughter and I said, okay, I'm going to call Will and I'm going to call Sebastian. She said, that's great. I wish you would. And then I should talk to them too. She was real busy with work and trying to make sure she could, you know, get the time off and start planning and doing everything else and, and, and texting with David and doing all stuff because they were in this real quick preparation mode. He was leaving in mid-March and wanted her to leave. It was the end of March. It was happening fast. That's almost unheard of. Nobody right. prepares like that for a thing to ever. People prepare for months, for years. So that was another thing. I thought there was just no way you can get this done in time to go for maybe sometime in April, but this is, this is going to be really hard. And she said, right. well, maybe you can help me. So right. what happened is I called Sebastian first before I called Will. And I, I have notes. You know, I'm saving all these notes and things because I want to give talks on this about I'm going to have a talk called Preparation is Everything, because it really is. Mm -hmm. And all we can do, my main message to parents is, if you prepare your kids as well as you can to be resilient and strong and live a wonderful life in spite of this disease, and maybe even because of it, a better life, then if you prepare and do everything as a parent, you, you do it and then you have to let go. Period. You have to, because you're going to kill yourself if you don't. You can't worry about every eventuality. I couldn't have worried about an earthquake in Avalanche. How would I know right. that's going to happen? Right. Right? So what happened is I called, and I still have these notes and things because I really want to give talks about this sometime because I've learned a lot. And over the years, I think, Scott, also with your kids, it's a gradual thing. An endocrinologist once said to me, your diabetes changes in relation to as somebody grows. You know, they grow with their diabetes. Parents grow. Things change. I don't have to get up at 2 in the morning anymore to check her blood sugars. I did for years. You know, now we have Dexcom share. We have other technology. Things are changing also. But just everything. I remember the first time she went on an overnight. I remember when she went away to running camp. I remember, you know, yeah. you go through different things. I never thought I'd be planning to send her off to the highest place in the world where there is no backup. There's nothing. Right. That's it, right? So what happened is I called Sebastian. I'll never forget his first words because I said, Sebastian, I'm calling you because I know you've done this and I need advice. And I just talked to her endocrinologist and I really don't think she can do that. And he was like, wait a minute. He said, absolutely not. He said, she can 100% do this. She will be fine. It will be challenging, but you can't stop her. He said, you can't not let her you know, go through this wonderful opportunity. I mean, he, I, and so I, and I said, okay, I'm going to take notes on everything. Tell me what to do. I will do anything. I've already been researching high altitude and diabetes. There's not much out there on and on and on. <clears throat> so he said, no, she can do this and she will do this. And, you know, he told me his whole experience. He basically said she had to start. It was very interesting trying to guess her blood sugar sometimes. Mm -hmm. So she actually started, like before she would eat, she'd have to try to guess what it would be and then see what it is because you have to do a little bit of that up there or he would have three meters, he'd average them. Um, so very, very interesting. Um, so I learned a lot. I studied everything I could. She ended up going with about, she said it would take her 10 minutes to take her supplements. She wanted about 15 supplements because I learned everything that would help her make more red blood cells and what Sherpas took, you know, these powdered cordyceps, mushrooms and <laughs> every antioxidant out there, you name it, stuff to thin the blood. Because the hard part for them is as a type one, they can't take the regular diamox, you know, 
medicine for altitude sickness. It messes with your blood sugars too much, makes you too dehydrated, and then it just it doesn't work. So we had to come up with other stuff. And actually, it's really pretty neat because now I've told Sebastian, I'm going to tell him when I see him at Friends for Life, give him my uh, my little formula. It worked pretty well for her. Yeah. She didn't, her altitude sickness really wasn't very bad at all. So, so and he, both he and, and Will had had to like crawl into camp and they said, she'll feel like she has a flu for a week. And she didn't. She had other things. Oh, that's problems. excellent. Well, so far, you've said, you've talked about two things so far that I can yep. relate directly back to regular, okay. regular life. And, and the one is that doctors, not just doctors, people in general yes. will default yes. to know when you ask them something that's outside of their comfort zone. Yeah. And, 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 and and it's important to continue to look into it on your own yes. because because they might be wrong. And, exactly. And that's just exactly. – that's a huge trust thing. Your, trust, your, trust your gut. I mean, she was so – at first, like I said, I was a little relieved when he said that. And then as I heard the fire and determination in her, and she – I have that too about things. I get passionate. Mm-hmm. I make a decision, and I'm going to do it. Nothing's going to stop sure, me. Sure. And so I thought – I owe that to her, and I thought to go to the best who've already done this. And when he said that to me, and when I got that same thing from Will, I was determined to learn everything I could. And then she did the same thing. She made calls to them, too. They were our two kind of pillars of, you know, their experience, what they recommended, because we had nothing to go by. Yeah. No guide thing. Well, sure. I mean, it's not something that a lot of people do to begin with. I mean, let yeah. alone a lot of people with diabetes. So it, one. it's, it's yeah. one of those things that when we're talking about it, it, it sort of gets glossed over because you're saying, oh, she's going to go to base camp at Everest or climb. It, it's yeah. such an incredible undertaking that, like yeah. you said, kills right. kills people. People are lost. Yeah, I know. They I know. Are, they, I know. They die for so many different reasons. I know. To I know. I had to be prepared for that, Scott. Yeah. I actually had a relative who said, I can't believe you let her go. I can't believe. And I said, what do you mean, let her go? It's her life. Yeah. She's 23. She's pr- She knows the dangers. She's prepared for that, and I'm prepared in my mind because we have a friend. The reason she wrote that thing about the mountain climber she's writing the book about, Andy Harvard, mm-hmm. his fiance was actually somebody I knew in Nepal when I was a young child growing up. She was the daughter of Willie Unsold, who was the first American to climb Everest. They were family friends. See, this all comes back. It's really neat. Fifty yeah. years ago, That's I went something. to Nepal as a child, and here's my daughter going. So the whole thing has a very strong spiritual component as well, yeah. and it's very interesting. So his daughter, who was kind of my contemporary, and I learned how to rock climb from her dad, who was one who climbed Everest, who was my father's friend. Anyway, she the reason my daughter interviewed them is because she'd read the story about her and her dad, and she died on the mountain she's named after. He was taking her and they were climbing a, a mountain called Nanda Devi, and that was her name. And she died on that mountain when she was engaged to this guy. So, Sadi, that's how her whole thing started with this. And so I knew how strongly she believed and felt that, you know, if it's your time to go or if you, you have to do what you have to do. So I know that sounds weird, but there were a lot of other things going on at different levels with this that I absolutely knew. When I knew, she was determined to go. And then after I talked to Will... And Sebastian, and when I talked to David for about an hour and a half on the phone, I was completely convinced she could not be with a better person right. doing this, this journey. He has chance. done this for 34 years. He is so revered and known. I knew his whole thing is safety. The only reason he's alive today 
and he's been there with all every the times when everybody else has died. He's carried so many bodies off that mountain and arranged things. Um, is because he's very careful. Yeah. So I have a question. I'm going to ask you to kind of you might not know because I'm going to ask you what maybe Swati's frame of mind is. Do you think? Yeah. Do you think that climbing on Everest seemed possible to her because she's 23 and because she's you know young her brain. and and, and she, that's something she feels like she can do? Or do you think that there's a part of her that said, "Well, this is the ultimate test for what I can do in my life with diabetes." My mom told me I my think, whole life. I, I think both. I think. Yeah. I think both. I think that I truly believe because I was 23 and I did amazing things then Absolutely. too. I didn't do that, but I went overseas and the world was my playground or whatever. I think part of it is your brain is still forming till you're about 25. I think that, you know, there's a teenage hormones. You'll see it when your kids get older. And then there's, I I can do anything. I'm pretty sure I was about 23 the day that I thought, I wonder if my motorcycle really goes 160 miles. See? Yeah, yeah. Right. So I think there's an element of the brain thing. There's an element of she's been brought up. You can do anything with IDs and honestly, an inner spiritual component. This was a compelling thing she had to do. And even David felt, you know, it was like how interesting you asked her. Everything just came came together together the way it did. So I feel on an inner level, there, this was just meant to be. And so mm-hmm. once I really felt that and right. I felt she could not have everything to come together in a better way with a better person, everything people would do die to be able to go to, and she was getting paid for paid it. So it. everything about it was, That's she was, story too, yeah. if she could just be able to go and not lose her job. Right. So when she got the okay from her job, everything for me was as worried as I was, I had an undercurrent the whole time that this was incredibly dangerous and she could lose her life because Absolutely. I was very realistic. Oh, sure. I saw everything there. She, we did all the things that, that Sebastian and Will told us to do. She was guessing our blood sugars. We had to get three times as many supplies of mm-hmm. pumps. She had, so she had two pump, a pump, a backup pump. She was waiting on another one. She did not trust taking the tandem. So she got the animus because both Sebastian and Will had used it. She worked up there. A friend of ours at Dexcom God bless him, got us two Dexcom, got her Dexcom shares extra to have. She had her own, but we wanted to have the share to see how far it would work. Plus, they wanted to try the Dexcom up there. She's the first person to use the Dexcom that high, so they're very happy about that. Then we had to get, she had to get three times as many pens Mm -hmm. to have pens as backups. Then she had to have three times as many the syringes and files. Yeah. It was a lot of stuff. She's very fortunate to have the insurance. Yet. So when we finally went to her doctor and when she laid everything out to, to pack and I mean, she came home to pack and everything was the entire living room. And it was a lot of work. It was a lot of ordering stuff. It was a lot of trips to REI and you name it. You have to wear special clothes. You don't change up there and take showers. I mean, you're wearing stuff for days. Yes. So, it's just, it's fascinating. All the stuff she had to buy and things we had to do. And I researched a lot and we used to, a lot of it was how to store her stuff so it wouldn't freeze. So I learned all about those things. Some of, we followed some of the suggestions of Will and Sebastian, many, many things you do there to prevent getting, you know, hypoglycemia or what you do when you get too high. So, but she had to have three of everything because we had to have things in three places in case there was something like what happened or something, or in case, you know, she had to get out quickly or she was in one part of camp or something happened. I mean, that was a mile long. When I travel, so anyway, when I travel for pleasure, I, lot pack, of work. I pack some stuff in a carry on and some stuff gets checked just because what if one of the bags turns up lost? Exactly. Yeah, right, and it, when you take your daughter and you travel, you yep. bring twice as much stuff exactly. and you're careful how you have it. So it was, it, anyway, it was a lot of preparation. So what really happened for me is when I realized she's going no matter what, even with the undercurrent 
of concern and sometimes fear mm. and sometimes waking up in the middle of the night and thinking, what if, and have I, have I done this and that? All I could do is put myself in 100% preparation mode and make this as safe as I could, and then I had to let go and just right. prayers. And that's what we did. And that's a big thing for you to do because there are moments in parenting when, yep. when you will trade off your long-term relationship, you'll say, well, I'm going to like, this is a put my foot down moment where they're not going to think the same of me going forward, but I feel like I'm saving their life. And so right. I trade and you let go of that and just let, I had to, yeah. because I, I, this was something she had to do. And the only thing I could do if she was going to do this was do everything I could in my power to help her be successful and to help alleviate my fears. So when I used to be a CDE at camp, Sati went to camp for a long time, diabetes camp as a child, and I'd go as as a CDE with some others and do the infirmary. And it was really neat because I spent more time helping the parents and those kids. So the parents would come, drop off their kids, and I remembered the first time I did it. She had only gotten it in, I guess, September, and then she was in camp that next summer, and I was scared to death, right? So I remember somebody saying to me, your child's going to be fine. It's you I'm worried about. And I was like, well, no, no, I'm going to call tonight and I'll call tomorrow. No, 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 you don't need to call. You're not going to call. Of course, when the first time she went to camp, her pump had broke, everything that could happen had happened. I never (laughs) knew about it until she got home at the end and she was perfectly fine. there she she was and she was fine, right? They always are. But the point is, I would always tell parents after that when I was at camp and checking kids in, look, they're going to be fine. Look, they're running off and they're having fun and they're making friends. But I said, I know how hard it is for you. What can I do for you? You know, yeah. because it's the parents. And so when I would write story, when I would write advice for, for parents, for kids going off to college and stuff, I would write to the kids saying, or I would do workshops and tell children, the kids, look, your parents have taken care of you for a long time. Give them a break. I know you're happy to get out and you think you can take care of yourself. You can do else. You probably can if you've been prepared well. But remember your parents. Yes, they need a text in the morning sometimes saying, I'm awake, I'm fine. They need an extra layer of stuff. It's just something that goes along with having this disease. It's a pain, but you owe it to them. Mm. Because from a parent's side, there's a symbiotic tie that is stronger. I I, I mean, a lot of parents are close to their kids no matter what. But when you have a type 1 kid, it's different. You know because you're a parent. It just goes along with it. you know, I, I'm not a huge up overnight person. Like I'm not up constantly, but on yep. nights when blood sugars won't, you know, won't yep. play along, I don't sleep a lot. There are times yep. that I don't mean this to be dramatic and I'm not a martyr certainly, but there are times that I think the lack of sleep is killing me. And I mm-hmm. think on some crazy level, that's okay with me. And yeah. and that's a weird thing to say as a human being because my first indication in life is to stay alive. And and yet when it comes to keeping Arden's blood sugar where it should be and her A1Cs where it should be and stuff like that, like I literally feel like I'm okay trading away part of my life because I look older and I am tired some days in a way that is hard to, to, to really put into words. And, mm-hmm. and it doesn't seem to – I don't seem to mind. And, no, and, and because it's something, something maybe we, we signed up for somewhere along really the way. Or it's just kind of it goes with the territory. How but people you, don't understand yeah, unless yeah. they're parents. You can't imagine it prior to being a parent. That's for certain. Right. So, okay, and so, you, unless you're a type 1 parent. That's what bonds, I think, all of us. Yeah. I always tell somebody when I used to run a support group for moms, welcome to a club you never asked to be a part of. Right. Through it, I, you know, it's going to be the hardest thing you ever did. But I promise you'll meet the most wonderful people. It's true. But, you know. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I mean, people who have type 1 diabetes and the people who love them, 
so far in my experience are some of the greatest, most they are. people. They are. Met. I think kids there, I always tell people I'm a little prejudiced. I think God only gives it to the most special kids, but that's well, that's so, just me because they're pretty amazing. Elna, so now we've, you're 23 year old daughter who's a, a, right. a really great writer comes home one day or calls you up and tells you this is what I'm going to do you go mm -hmm. through all the, the the processes of thinking through that and you've prepped her for it she's mm -hmm. ready to go mm -hmm. it, tell me about the next part okay to hear about the next part just go to episode 22 of the juice box podcast and we're going to pick up right where we left off Elena's going to tell you her crazy tale of being on the other side of the earth while her daughter was experiencing an avalanche on Mount Everest. I, I don't know another way to put it. It's amazing. Um, she's separated from her type 1 diabetes supplies mostly, uh, suffers a head injury. The winds on the mountain are picking people up and throwing them into the mountain. It is it is a crazy and harrowing tale. Um, if you're enjoying the Juice Box podcast, please leave a review and a rating on iTunes. And uh, don't forget to tell a friend. Nepal has been hit with its worst earthquake in decades, killing more than 1,100 people, turning Kathmandu into an outdoor hospital, even triggering an avalanche on Mount Everest that killed or injured many climbers. Early Saturday, the confirmed death toll in Nepal alone was at least 1,130 people, but there were also victims in India, Tibet, and Bangladesh. With the search for victims just starting, the death toll is expected to rise significantly in the days ahead. The quake struck just before noon local time. It measured 7.8, according to the U.S. Geological Survey. It was centered about 80 miles northwest of Nepal's capital of Kathmandu, and it struck at a depth of only 7 miles, making it far more destructive because it was shallow. The quake collapsed houses, buildings, even historic temples. It sent ambulances racing through the streets and shut down Kathmandu's international airport. It also generated numerous smaller aftershocks that rocked the region for hours. Ned Barker, The Associated Press.